people should not be walking around with masks. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet. But it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. I'm not doing it. That's fine. But it can lead to a shortage of masks. Exactly. That's the point. It could lead to a shortage of masks. I think I'm going to be doing it, wearing a face mask as I greet presidents, prime ministers, dictators, kings, queens. I don't know. Somehow, I don't see it for myself. Well, I did wear, I had one on before. I wore one in this back area, but I didn't want to give the press the pleasure of seeing it. Here's my, here's my mask right here. And I liked it very much. I actually, honestly, I think I look better in the mask. I really did. I look better in the mask. Can you take it up because I cannot hear I'll, you? I'll just speak louder, sir. Oh, okay, because you want to be politically correct. Go ahead. Welcome to episode six of Gray Matters. Disinfect against COVID disinformation in our dystopian media with USA Revolt blogger David Bond. Today we'll be discussing misleading or false information surrounding COVID-19 that has not only been fueled by Trump, the anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, and the anti-lockdown movement, but also by our public health officials at the CDC and by President Biden, and even Fauci. Some of the false claims, such as masks cause you to breathe your own CO2 or vaccines alter your DNA, have been found in the already debunked film Pandemic and on all medical websites or YouTube channels, as well as on Telegram. The mainstream media, however, has also spread misleading information about COVID, yet claiming to be supported by science, as when President Biden says he wants schools to open as fast as possible, yet also admitting it's going to get worse before it gets better. The media simultaneously is sounding the alarm on the variants, as Fauci tells us to beware the Ides of March with the UK variant, South African variant, etc., that could very well become the dominant strain. Also, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said that according to science, teachers don't have to be vaccinated in order to reopen the schools. I just want to let you all know that LAUSD Superintendent, Los Angeles Unified School District Superintendent Butner and Mayor Garcetti and the UTLA president all said that they will not allow schools to open in Los Angeles until every staff member, teacher, et cetera, is vaccinated. And I still have some colleagues. I used to work for LAUSD and one of them, she's a teacher, just got her vaccination yesterday. So they're working on that. So they're not just opening up schools in Los Angeles based on the quote unquote science that Dr. Walensky claimed. We are often confused with these mixed messages coming from the health experts and government officials. On the one hand, the numbers have been going down and the vaccines have been rolling out and it looks hopeful that herd immunity could be reached by say this summer. On the other hand, it's a race against time as the vaccines are racing the variants which could possibly evade the antibodies triggered by the vaccines. In this era of confusing, misleading information or disinformation, it's difficult to navigate our way around. Some Americans are still skeptical about the vaccines, and there is plenty of anti-vaccine propaganda on social media still. Although much of it has been removed from Facebook or Twitter, 
it's still there on YouTube. It's extremely important for people to develop new media literacy skills in this dystopian media world in which we live. Some say we may be in the matrix. Others say we are in an Orwellian reality. Still others may say QAnon. Whatever looking glass you've walked through, it's important to find the tools with which to discriminate between fact fiction and don't know. So I'm proud to introduce our guest, David Bond, a founder of USA Revolt, because he is going to break down this disinformation and perhaps teach us how to learn to become media literate in this new age. So hi, Dave. How are you today? Hey, doing well. Good to be here. Well, I'm very excited that you're here. And I just want everybody to know that both Dave and I have been blocked from uh, posting on Facebook. We're kind of in Facebook jail for various reasons. And then Dave's going to expand more about his blog. And then we're going to get into it with really an article that he wrote for his blog called COVID Vax Lies and Audio Tapes. So first, can you just tell us about your blog and Revolt USA and why you created it and your little issue with the FBI so we get some background on who you are? And then we'll get right to it about dissecting your brilliant article. Sure. Oh, where to begin? Probably 2016, I'd say. That's kind of when I had my awakening and realized just how rigged the system was and how things really worked, how big money decided everything. I was posting a lot on Facebook at the time, trying to alert people what was going on with the rigging of the 2016 primary on the Democratic side. And Facebook kept kicking me off. I kept getting suspended. Most of the time, they wouldn't even say why. That was one of the stranger things. It was like, you got to at least tell me why you're kicking me off your platform. And they wouldn't say anything. So once I realized that, and then once the election went the way, unfortunately, it went, and everything that went down with 2016, I switched over to starting a blog. And it was just usarevolt.org. But unfortunately, that's on WordPress, which, of course, is owned by Microsoft. And of course, to search for it, you have to use, usually most people use Google. So that's been suppressed. So now I've switched to a Substack account and I've just been posting on there. And I'm sure they'll eventually come for that too. But sticking with that. Really good company on Substack because you've got Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, that's when I first really looked into it was when I heard Glenn talking about switching to there when he more or less was kicked out of the intercept. And of course, Matt Taibbi's always been great. Uh, and once I heard both of them were on it, I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Yeah. And can you just tell us a little bit before we focus on your article, your professional background? I think you said you worked in education. Yes, I was actually a fine arts major. And when I graduated, that was in 2007. And then within a year, you know, we had the big economic crash. So getting jobs in my field in upstate New York just wasn't in the cards at the time. And uh, there was a local school district. They just required people to have a bachelor's degree. That was it. <laughs> so I took a gig doing that. It was a full-time tutoring job, K through 12, all subjects. And I ended up really liking it, even though I don't have a degree in it. It went well. And I still tutor a little bit privately, but these days I'm strictly freelance. Yeah. So you feel then pretty comfortable talking about media literacy. So you've got a blog, you've been educating kids. So basically, I just want to say I did a lot of work with media literacy too. When I taught English at high school, we talked about media back in 2018. So yeah, it's really important that not only kids, of course, it's important because they're our future, but it's important that adults, anywhere from age 18 all the way to 90, 100, whatever age you are, mm -hmm. has 
an ability to sift through the media because the thing I want to say is that we need to be armed with all of the disinformation in terms of it's sort of a Hegelian dialectics, right? We need to be armed with the opposition in order to understand the truth. So mm-hmm. most people don't have that much kind of time to do so if they're not working in journalism or media or whatnot. So Dave's here and I'm here to help people decipher. So the first thing I want to ask you is there's a clip that was played by Fauci here. And I just want people to understand that Fauci did not actually lie. He did mislead because he did tell us that we don't need to wear a mask. He said we don't need to wear a mask. So can you talk about how Fauci's misleading information about the mask was not as dangerous as Trump's downright, I'm not wearing a mask. Can you talk about that? Because that was in your article. You wrote about that lie. Yeah. Fauci, I would say that he did lie, if only because he didn't just say we didn't need a mask. He also downplayed what masks can do. He said, oh, maybe it'll block like a droplet or two. And, you know, he almost made it sound like masks are a bad idea, even if they were necessary. Like he seemed to be shitting on them a little bit. (laughs) But what about Trump? Didn't Trump go further? I agree. Yes. Trump went much further with his lies because he outright said that he shouldn't wear a mask. Masks aren't necessary. And he consistently said that for many months, which was clearly, you know, false information. And he knew that not to give him an excuse But at least everyone did know already that, you know, he was a liar. He had a long history of lying frequently. And Dr. Fauci was quite a professional that is well-trusted. So there was kind of, if Fauci lies or even misleads, to some extent, it carries more weight because he's the guy you expect to tell you the truth. You don't expect that from Trump. I think that you make a brilliant point that even though Fauci's lies were less dangerous they were still in a way more dangerous because we listened to him as an expert. He is, after all, the director of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. So yes, his words do carry a lot of weight. And I just don't understand, and nobody's been able to answer my question, why is it that Fauci, Nancy Messinar, she is the head for a particular division of CDC, And she said in January, this was going to be like a pandemic, very, very serious. So then Trump chilled her voice. But if she knew this, then Fauci must have known this. So why was Fauci so reticent? He says now he felt relieved and such because he could now speak more openly in the new administration. Did Trump have that kind of a hold on him? Trump threatened his life? We're only conjecturing, but I really want to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I mean, it is conjecture because we don't actually know, but it's definitely fair to speculate because they're not giving us any answers. And it's a very valid question. My interpretation of all of it is if someone's intentionally lying to you and the result of that lie causes more deaths, that's what they wanted. That's my belief. I don't know it, but I think Dr. Fauci and probably certainly others are very interested in population control. Like Bill Gates. I don't know. Bill Gates is such a tricky one. He's definitely got his fingers in a lot of like, I don't know. Climate change, agriculture. But yeah, so why would they want to use this virus? There's so 
much confusion around this. So what do you think about that? Well, I think it will depend on what the death count ultimately is, since we don't know the direction these variants are going to take, although we have some idea. The number of casualties could go way up. Oh, yeah. And then it would make an increasingly valid argument that, wow, they really wanted to kill a lot of people. Because, yeah, you're right. If they only take out of half a million, which, I mean, that's still obviously a lot. In a country of 320 plus million, close to 330, I believe. In that sense, it's a low number. It's not enough for them to actually shift anything one way or another. So what's the point of doing it? They're warning us about the variants. And at the mm-hmm. same time, Biden can't really overstep his separation of powers boundaries and force South Carolina to comply with more restrictions because South Carolina is completely open. I'm pretty sure Florida is. And then uh, we've got Texas losing their power from the storm. That's going to cause, they said, a super spreader. We are fully aware of these variants. We're telling people to get vaccinated. We've also got more variants. Another serious problem is that California's got another variant that could be much more contagious, and so does New York. So what do Americans need to do as in terms of our own action. So what do we do to prevent ourselves from being in a situation when we're having super spreader events with new variants that are more deadly? What do you want to tell the listeners to do to prevent these variants? So maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. The UK variant alone has been reported by Boris Johnson over there to say that it was, he said, up to 93% more contagious. Mm -hmm. and I believe they've said it's around 58% more deadly. Wow. So that's just one variant. And just recently, the UK variant and the California variant, Mm -hmm. there's one case of them merging. So it hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but there are enough articles, corporate and independent. B117 and California. Yes, so there's subsets of variant, and these could be way more deadly and more contagious. So how do we get that point to these people that are skeptical? Government needs to give us thousands of dollars a month, every American, to keep them home. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Kelton, the MMT lady, she says, look, government needs to pay people to stay home. She's absolutely right. Yeah, and it's pretty much what every developed country has done. So it's just, it's incredibly disturbing that the United States hasn't done it, being the richest country in the history of the world, that we don't do that. If you're going to tell people they have to stay home for their own benefit, That's not fascist. If you pay them, you have to pay them because otherwise you're just worsening poverty and you're actually hurting people. You're not helping them. And getting them sick. So Jimmy Dore made a really good point about that. Remember when Tucker about a week ago, maybe you could talk about the nuanced how Tucker brushed over it when Jimmy agreed with Tucker that the lockdowns are destroying small businesses and hurting the American people and hurting the economy for the 99%, et cetera. Tucker's target audience is largely a lot of people that doubt the virus altogether. And they're very anti-lockdown and they see it as an infringement on their freedom. And they have a point only if they're not getting paid, which they're not. Mm-hmm. They're upset with the impact of the lockdown, the economic impact and the health impact. But they're not looking into it further to understand exactly why that's the issue. Like lockdowns themselves, as Jimmy Dore said, isn't the problem. It's not the lockdowns that are a problem. It's how you do the lockdowns. And they don't take that extra step. 
Exactly. And Tucker doesn't want to talk about it because he'll alienate some of his viewers. Exactly. Uh, so he wasn't going to touch that. But there's a way to do it the right way, and we've been doing it the wrong way. And that's true. But nobody that's anti-lockdown has a good argument for it. If you happen to be Tucker's producer, what might you say to Tucker about that so that he could bring Jimmy back on? And how do you think Tucker would respond? I mean, I would tell him to just extend the length of Jimmy Dore's interviews. <laughs> so far, his pattern seems to be to have him on and let Jimmy Dore ramp three to five minutes at most. And then he's like, all right. And then they just move on. He'll quickly yeah. say, oh, I agree with you. Okay, coming up next. There's no like real conversation happening. He's kind of feeding off of Jimmy Dore's celebrity status. I think that's fair to say at this point. He's far more popular than most corporate news talking heads. In your article, you're calling for a real boots on the ground revolution, which is why you didn't object to the insurrection in terms of the storming of the Capitol, though I do believe that you did object to why they were doing it. So can you just talk to people about your take on what needs to happen and then how what happened in Washington was something that you have a nuanced view of? Well, the positive thing is that the majority of the country, despite what the media will tell you, is pretty united on almost every issue. You know, if you poll people on Medicare for all, even universal basic income, which is considered radical, vast majority supports addressing all these issues. Overall, the country is at least 60% progressive when you don't use the word progressive, when you don't use the phrase democratic socialism, when you don't use the isms, people actually are almost on the same page. There's a strong majority consensus, which is one reason to hope. The reason that we haven't had much hope, though, is that our government has no interest and what the majority thinks. No interest at all. Zero. There is no electoral means of changing any of this. The idea of a political revolution, which I think Bernie Sanders largely talked about, mm -hmm. unfortunately has proven to be a failure. That's not going to work. The change won't come from a voting booth. It's going to come from the streets. And it's not because that's the way we want it to happen. It's because that's our only option left. They've taken all the other ones away from us. Petitions don't work. Peaceful protesting hasn't worked. I mean, look at all these protests defunding the police. Whether you agree with it or not, the number of people that have been involved in that, the sheer number of demonstrations and how many changes have actually been made. None that I know of. There's a couple of police stations here and there that cut the budget back by what, five, 10%, you know? So clearly the people aren't being listened to. So how do you make the U.S. government listen to American citizens again? And it's my contention that I will start off by saying it does not need to be violent. The goal is to make this transition peaceful. Mm -hmm. You have to have very large numbers of people. I say a minimum of 500,000. And they would need to, quote unquote, storm the gates, just showing up in sheer numbers. Not the way the deal folks did. No, without the violence. You're not bringing any Molotov cocktails with you. Correct. Because if you have enough people, you don't need that. And that's why I'm highly encouraging of having enough people together that they'll have that much say, that much of a voice without having to fire a shot or throw anything or, you know, any of that. There's a clean way to do it, but you need a lot of people. And then when we change it, what do you envision this new society? My vision would be that if you get enough people together, we can have Congress be abolished. 
everyone in Congress out. Then how appoint do we have a separate powers? How do we have a democracy? No, no, then you appoint a people's legislature uh-huh. because we can't change anything if we don't actually have democracy back. If the middle class has a say, I'm convinced the middle class will figure out its differences. We'll be able to do that civilly, come union. to a consensus. Would it be kind of the way a unions are run? For example, like labor unions during FDR, like he pushed the labor unions, mm-hmm. according to Richard Wolf, pushed FDR in that direction. And we could have had that with Bernie if it happened. But I'm just going to cry over spilling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where Bernie Sanders is very frustrating in that way because you know he means well. Yeah. You know he really wants things to be better. His strategy is just an abysmal failure. And he needs to start recognizing that and acting like it and changing course. He's now, you know, the budget chairman. So he's supposed yeah. to have all this power now, right? Mm-hmm. And when he was interviewed, he was asked, are you going to use this to push Medicare for all and, you know, programs you fought for? Mm-hmm. And he said that he would be fighting for what Joe Biden is fighting. So maybe you could talk to us about how Biden and Kamala's rollout of the vaccine is there. It needs to be better. We need to protect ourselves against the variants. What would you say people need to do? And what do you think Biden and Kamala's real goal is? Do you think their goal is to just for them to keep in power and they don't give two fucks about us? Because I don't <laughs> think they do. I mean, I wish I could say they did. Yeah. Oh, oh, we all wish that. In his own way, Trump cares as much, if not more, for the American people than Biden. I know it's a twisted thing to say, but you may want to. Oh, I agree. In an odd way. Trump cares about you if you're his friend, if, if you're loyal to him. Yes. When you want to talk about sociopath, I'm thinking Biden's more of a sociopath than Trump. Maybe I'm wrong, but just based on looking at him and looking at what he says. But Trump is more like a regular angry American who happens to have a lot of money. And so if you had a one-on-one interview with Trump and you had a one-on-one interview with Biden, you would get so much more honesty from Trump, in my opinion, even though CNN wants to say that he yes. lies. Can you talk about that, too? Because I know you have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Trump, for better or worse, he really doesn't care about what is true or what isn't true. What he does care about, though, is being liked, number one. He definitely wants to be liked. And unfortunately, you have some people, not all of his supporters, because I think some of them, they have good reasons to support him. We can get into that. Yeah, taxes. You're a corporate person. The tax tax cut was great for your portfolio. And those that see him also as just a wrecking ball, you know, like, oh, he'll disrupt the establishment. He'll tear it down. He's still one way or another. He's not an insider, unlike Biden. The big danger is that Biden, he's always reading from a script. He doesn't go off script. He's told what to do. He's told who to bomb. He's told, 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 and he just does it. He's like, where do I sign? And that's his role. Where do I sign? That should have been his campaign slogan, really. That'd be a great bumper sticker. Where do I sign? Love Where it. do I sign? Biden 2024. Although I don't think he'll probably be alive at that point. Because wow. of the pandemic or just because of his debilitating. Yeah, it's going to be President oh. Harris. <laughs> well, I, no, well, she might try. I think if it's Harris versus Trump, Trump's going to win. And the reason Trump will win is because even if he's wrong about something, he's honestly wrong. He'll say the wrong thing because he doesn't follow the script. He doesn't care. By then, maybe we'll get our flu shots and our boosters every year. I think a fun example of how, like comparing Biden and Trump and how they operate, 
like Biden just recently with $15 minimum wage issue. The Senate parliamentarian, the vice president is the one that can override that. Yeah. Kamala Harris can just say, forget that. We're keeping $15 minimum wage in the stimulus. And then they vote on it in the past. So why is he so soft on that? And he's being such, he's, he's being a, um, we should be a minimum wage hawk and he's being a dove. Like why? Joe Biden doesn't support a $15 minimum wage. Talk about the new wave though. We're really focusing on COVID, although it does bleed into the economy. Talk about your concern about this new wave, because you said we've been in the first wave. We're ready for a second wave, how it relates to the variants. And after that, I'm going to bring up a passage that I want you to analyze that you wrote in your article. I, for one, always wear a mask if I'm in an indoor place, especially in Los Angeles. You kind of have to. They're pretty good about mandating that here. The only time I do not is when I go hiking. No need to. No. And I've been scolded. I've been yelled at. There was an older guy on the trail and he yelled at me and he said, put on your fucking mask for God's sake. And he just went nuts. And I just said, Google the science. And I just kept going. I'm not going to debate somebody that emotional. What's going to be important is that everybody, of course, wears the mask, socially distanced. Those are the standard. But you also need to be taking vitamin D. Yes. When able, you want to get it naturally from the sun as well. I call this the second wave because despite the fact that it seems that we've already had three waves, I believe those are three sub waves of one larger wave. How do the variants play into this second wave that we're encroaching upon? Very similar to the 1918 pandemic. The second wave was caused by mutants, mutant variants. That was the reason for the mass casualties. And you look at any chart from that, you Google that and look at, or DuckDuckGo, don't use Google. And you see that chart, you see the first wave and it's a little nothing. And I say, that's what we've gone through. Yeah. That's nothing. The next wave has a potential to be four or five, six times worse. Will it evade the vaccines or will they be able to update them in time? I think the virus has so many variants and that those variants are now combining into further mutations. And it's just, I don't have much faith in anything our government does (laughs) just by default. But I think this vaccine is going to be a lot slower. We don't want to get that virus at all because not enough years have passed and it's too unknown. Now, the good news is some of these mutants will not turn into deadly strains. They'll just be variants or mutations. It's when they become more virulent and or more contagious And then they become strains. It's like Darwinism. It's a survival of the fittest. Not all of them make it, but we have to figure out ways to stop it. And the government has no interest and they're at some incompetence level too. Would you say that too? I would say the incompetence comes into play when it comes to the uh, communicating with the public. That's where the incompetence is. They don't know how to talk to us. They don't know how to tell us enough truth like it's understandable that there's a little bit that they want to hold back sometimes for the sake of public safety but the way they've held it back and the way their narrative has been so blatantly obviously you know false constantly yeah walensky said teachers can go back to school without vaccinating my favorite thing with that with walensky is how she said that oh kids are going to get the virus in the community they don't get it at the school 
so we should have them in school. And I'm like, well, they're not going to live in the school. Go back out into the community and then they'll go to school and then they'll go to the community and it's called a cycle. Finally, before we wrap up, I want everybody to know if you're interested to read uh, David's article, it's on his blog, usarevolt.com, right? usarevolt.org. And I'm mostly converting now over to Substack. Where can they find COVID, Vax, Lies, and Audio Tape? It's a must-read, by the way. That would be on uh, usarevolt.substack.com. If you guys want to get news that is uncensored and news analysis that's uncensored, that's coming from journalists that really want to tell the truth, that really are representing the fourth estate, you go to Substack, and if you want to listen to them talk, you come to Gray Matters. So David wrote this quote, it's possible this was just a flawed approach, but the active efforts to reopen schools at the federal level, the lifting of mask mandates at the state level, and the return of indoor dining bars, movie theaters, et cetera, at the local level, tells me that the US government as a whole is very, very okay with killing off as much of the poor and lower middle class as they possibly can. If our elected, not elected officials, actually wanted to save more lives, they would be proactively preparing us for this next wave rather than knowingly setting us up for complete failure. Please talk on that and then we'll close because that was really important information that you wrote. Absolutely. It's my position that the government truly doesn't care and is trying to keep as many of us as sick, dying, and busy, distracted as possible because you don't want people united. It's hard to have a revolution. You have to have meetings and there's large crowds. Well, if everybody's sick and the virus is running around, well, people aren't going to be likely to do that. You know, if you have a situation like New Zealand, a government that actually knew what they were doing, they're able to have concerts outside now and indoors. I believe they had an indoor concert and no one's wearing a mask because their country just doesn't have the virus because they did proper lockdowns from the beginning. They didn't do that here because it throws the middle class into chaos. They want the healthcare system to be overrun. Why not? That's great. They're not talking about Joe Biden dropping bombs in Syria because we're busy trying oh, yeah. to survive a pandemic. Or him not lifting sanctions on MBS. Yeah, Venezuela and. MBS thing was really bad, the Saudi Arabia thing, because of MBS. They know that he was responsible for the killing of Khashoggi. Yeah. Yeah, he sanctioned like everybody except the guy that actually gave the order, which was stunning. Really talk to us about how we need to prepare ourselves for the next wave because the government is not going to. And how do you deal with the vaccines? Because I know that you have mixed feelings about the vaccines. So talk about that as well. You know, we said at the beginning, neither of us are anti-vaxxers. I'm certainly not. Very pro-science. But in my view, and this also comes from, I'm 35, so I'm in an age group that's not nearly as high risk with the virus, at least as of now, who knows how it'll mutate. But, and I did have the virus in January and I had severe symptoms. I had worked a booth at the Consumer Electronics Show, CES 2020, which was said later to be a super spreader event, an early one. And so I ended up very sick in mid-January severe headache, severe fatigue. And it got to a point that I was like, you know, I might need to call 911. I might need to actually go to the hospital because my fever was so bad. I could feel my heat radiating off my eyeballs through my eyelid. And I was like, I've never had anything like this before. And I've had the flu a few times. 
I was like, this is different. I don't know what it is. Nobody at the time really knew. And I was going to call or at least considered calling. And then I realized I couldn't even move. I was straight up paralyzed. I couldn't move. And I thought, well, I'll just shout to my roommates. And then I couldn't speak. I was like, wow. How was your breathing? Breathing was heavy. I mean, it wasn't enough to prevent me from speaking. I just didn't even have the strength to speak. I was that weak. And I was like, well, this could be it. I'm going to go to sleep and hope my body can fight this. And, you know, I wake up and I did. And since then, I've been taking the, you know, actually a month and a half or so later. You have your antibodies checked? I didn't because by the time the virus was really more well known, it was already a few months later and people didn't know how long the antibodies would be there. And I just didn't. And at this point. You might have some T cell protection. I think so. But from the original strain, I don't know. Because one of my roommates had gotten it a second time in April, and I didn't catch it from her. And we had driven in the same car. Oh, yeah. Let's close with that. Tell us about your book that you're working on, because after people read your Substack articles, they might want to eventually read your book, and you'll come on the show about that. Yeah, it's uh, tentatively titled Karma 19, Hope in the Age of COVID. Title might shift a little bit, but basically about uh, there's, there's a lot of things that have been revealed by this pandemic. We're seeing the vulnerabilities of our government, the, just how inept it really is, how dishonest they are. And it's created some divisions in the country, but divisions that were smaller and not talked about, and now they've been amplified. And it's kind of getting everybody to that point of going like, where do you stand? Who are you? Who are your allies? Who are your friends? And it's clarified a lot of things. Is your book really research-based, like Doc? So we could, it's nonfiction, I'm assuming. And yes, and it's not out yet. Is it going to be a sort of, you know, research, academically-based book where you document? Yeah, there'll be a lot of research involved in it. And I'm also tying in the, the larger impacts of, you know, the potential of revolution in our country, how it's actually helped that move along much faster than it otherwise would have. It kind of ripped the band-aid off our economy that was already going to ultimately collapse. Are you going to uh, reference people like political economic theorists like Karl Marx or Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, or is it sort of like a historical? Uh, definitely Malcolm X. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Dave. It was really sure. great having you. Yeah, thanks for having me.